I'd like to direct your attention to something over the last year that God has really, really been working on my heart. If you want to know the theme pretty much of today's message, then remember and remeditate upon the offertory this morning. Rejoicing in the Lord no matter what happens in your life. I would invite you to take your Bible and go to the book of Philippians this morning. Philippians. If you're not familiar with your Bible, it's in the New Testament. That's the second portion of your Bible. It's a little letter, and again, if you're not familiar with it, you may have a trouble finding it. It's actually spelled with a P. You know, who knew? Philippians. I'd like you to go to the first chapter this morning. I need you to keep your Bible open. Always keep your Bible open when the Word of God is preached. But I'm going to read a few verses here, and then we're going to look at several verses throughout our time here in the book of Philippians. So please keep your Bible open. But my text specifically is verses 19, 20, and 21. The Apostle Paul writes this in Philippians 1, and he says these words, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, That in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Before we look at this text in particular, I want to ask you three big questions. We will get to the text, but I have to take some time to ask and answer these three big questions, for I believe it will open up the understanding of these most familiar verses in Philippians chapter 1. The first question I think we need to ask is this, what is the message of this entire book? What is the message of Philippians? Maybe you know this, I agree with others who have come up with this. I believe the message of Philippians is found in chapter 3, And verse 1, in which the apostle exhorts the church to rejoice in the Lord. Oh, church, rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in Jesus. Be of good cheer, regardless of what happens, because you have Jesus Christ. Glory in this knowledge that your joy in life is not dependent on chance. It is not dependent on circumstance. No, your joy is dependent on this confidence that you have Jesus Christ. And more importantly, He has you. You see, joy is confidence that all is well because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Other people have called Philippians The joyful letter. And I agree with that assessment. The English words we have here in our English text, the English words rejoice or joy show up about 18 times in this short letter. It is the joyful letter. And the teaching is very clear. The church stands out from the world by our irrepressible joy. Do you know what irrepressible means? I don't have a definition, but I have an illustration. All right. You know what irrepressible means? It's the picture of the beach ball in the pool in the summer. 
Have you ever taken that ball and you've gone to the pool? And Boy, that sounds good right now. And uh, you, you stick it in the water. No matter how much pressure you put on it, what does that ball inevitably do? It pops back up to the surface. It's irrepressible. No matter what keeps, no matter what it does, it cannot stay down. That is the idea of the joy in the church because of Jesus Christ. Nothing can stop our joy. Nothing must be allowed to kill our joy. The world must witness and wonder at our joy. Unexplainable joy. Now that's the message. That's the first question. Here's my second question. Is the church known for this type of joy? Let's go to the man in the street. Well, I hope he's not in the street right now, but let's go to the man or the woman who has no desire for God, who is not in church this morning, who is huddled in their warm house this morning. Let's ask them, is the church, is the Christian known for joy? What do you think they would say? No, you Christians are always so negative. You're always against everything. You can't even enjoy life. You're so concerned about what you can't do. Sadly, the church is known more in this world for our bickering, our disunity, our pettiness, our worry, our pride, our self-righteousness. We're in church this morning. Our suspicion, our anger, our just plain sadness. Is it any wonder there is such little revival in the church? Is it any wonder the church does not matter in this world? Is it any wonder the world wants nothing to do with the church? The world looks at us and says, why should I become a Christian? I'm already sad. I'm already anxious. I'm already empty. You got nothing that I need. You react to problems the same way I react to problems. You react to bad news the same way we react to bad news. You fall apart when life isn't good, just like I fall apart when life isn't good. I want answers to my pain. I don't want more of the same. I want a life of wholeness, of peace, and of joy. And it's obvious it's not found in the church. So whatever the message of the church is, it has nothing for me. Do you not see the enormous damage that we as God's people inflict on the world because we don't have joy? So that leads me to my third question. Why does the church lack joy? Why? It's a good question to ask. And I want to suggest two reasons for you this morning. These are not earth-shattering reasons, but I think they get to the very heart of the problem. Number one, I believe the church lacks joy because we are searching for joy in the same places the world is searching for joy. We go to human relationships, accomplishments, achievements, amusements, the worship of ourself, materialism, the desperateness for good news. We look to the odds for joy. And as long as these things give you what you need, you're at peace, you have a positive outlook on life. Your day's going good. Hey, how's your day going? You know what? It's pretty good. I'm good because I'm getting what I need. 
Oh, but the sky falls when you are denied the happiness you want. When you are denied the satisfaction. When you are denied security. When you are denied that relationship. When you are denied independence. When you are denied good news. Life falls apart. You become an emotional wreck in the face of crisis, in the face of setback, in the face of frustration, in the face of disease, in the face of heartache. And you do one of two things. You either explode in self-righteous anger. That isn't right. I deserve something different. Or you wallow in self-pity. You become Winnie the Pooh's Eeyore. The cloud is always hanging. In fact, you came this morning hoping someone would ask you how you're doing because you want to tell them. You're a very draining person to be around. And both of those are reactions of pride and a lack of joy. Now, I do want to be careful because I do not and I will never diminish pain or injustice that has happened to you or tragedy or heartache and it is good and right and God-given to cry. But should not the Christian flourish with joy when life isn't good? Not happy, happy, syrupy, turn your frown upside down. But a true settled confidence that all is well with my soul because I have Jesus Christ. Should not the Christian flourish with joy? The world has already discovered the emptiness of these other pursuits that we are going after and consequently they have no time for the Christian message because we have nothing to give them. I believe the church lacks joy because we are searching for joy in the same place the world is. But may I say, number two, and more tragically, we lack joy because we have forgotten Christ. If you find yourself this morning spiraling down in worry or self-pity or anger or hatred, you can mark it down. You have not been dwelling on Christ and you currently are not dwelling on Christ. Rather, you are fixated on your circumstances. You are focused on your problems, on your heartaches, on your tragedy, on your disease, on your being denied what you wanted. That's why you lack joy. Your focus is on the wrong thing. It is time for the church to return to Christ. It is time to rejoice in Christ. Let the hardships rage, and they will. Let the bottom fall out. It probably already has. We have Jesus. And with Jesus alone comes true, astonishing, unexplainable joy, confidence, Stability, peace. Maybe that's why the apostle speaks the name of Jesus Christ some 40 times in the book of Philippians. Ah, the joyful letter is the Jesus letter. The path to a life of joy and peace is Jesus. That's why in chapter 1 the apostle says... As I have understood it, he says, exhorts the church to magnify Christ. In chapter 2, copy Christ in his humility and service. 
Chapter 3, know Christ and salvation and sanctification, becoming more like Him. And in chapter 4, anchored by that great verse 13, live Christ. I can do all things through Christ. So this morning, what we're going to look at is chapter 1, and more specifically, this uh, second portion of chapter 1, as he specifically addresses magnifying Christ. Or in other words, making Christ appear larger and more glorious in the eyes of the church, in the eyes of those in the world. I ask you, are you magnifying Christ when life is not good? Let me, let me use a term that we are well familiar with in our day and age. It is this phrase, raising awareness. You know what that is? It took me a long time to figure that out. There is some, uh, there is some problem. There's not enough good drinking water in, a, in, in some country. Uh, there is a, a, a disaster relief. There is a disease. Not enough people know about it. We need to raise awareness. So what do people do? They coordinate an event to raise awareness. It may be a run. It may be uh, uh, another um, uh, big big event where people come to. But what do they want to do? They want to raise awareness of their cause. Could it be this morning... That God brings an event into your life for one purpose. That you as the church and as the Christian might raise awareness of Jesus Christ in a world who's watching you. God brings circumstances. He brings difficulties. He brings tragedy. He brings bad news into our lives. So that because this world is not aware of Christ. What a privilege to magnify Him, to raise awareness of Him. I wonder, are you raising awareness of Christ this morning? That's what Paul speaks specifically about in chapter 1. In the first 11 verses of Philippians 1, he says this is how you magnify Christ. You magnify Christ by conducting yourself for the day of Christ. You're living for that day when he returns. From verses 12 to 21, which, spoiler alert, this is what we're going to look at this morning. He says you magnify Christ by consuming yourself with the glory of Christ. The weight, the majesty of Christ. And then verse 22, through the end of the chapter, you magnify Christ by concerning yourself with the church of Christ. There's a lot to talk about. We're not going to look at all three. We're just going to look at one. And that's verses 12 to 21. Really centered on verses 19 through 21. How do you know if you are magnifying Christ when life is not good? You know you are magnifying Christ when you are consuming yourself with the glory of Christ. I'd like to show that to you. To understand that, can you go back to verse number 12 of chapter 1? The apostle says this, But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. There's a phrase in verse 12 that makes me smile. 
the things which happened unto me. Is not that your life? That's the perfect definition of your life, isn't it? Oh, I know, you like to think you're in control of your life, but you're not. You've never been in control of your life. There's, there's, there's the old, uh, old poem, I am, the, I am the, the captain of my fate, I'm the, I'm the captain of my ship, I'm the master of my fate. That's a bunch of lies. You like to think that you make life happen, but life has a way of happening to you rather than by you. Decisions are made by others that affect you. Lies are spread that wound you. Diseases come that terrify you. Words are spoken that break you. Events happen that anger you. You have those long conversations, husband and wife, late into the night. Disease, or disasters strike that ruin you. And you have to come face to face with your inability to make life happen the way you wanted. You wrote a script for your life and God has changed it. Life has changed it. Life comes at you fast. But it is when life happens to you that your heart is exposed. Are you magnifying Christ? In other words, does Jesus make a difference when life happens to you? Well, what happened to Paul that was out of his control? Well, let's read it. That's in verses 13 through 17. I want to see if you can figure out what happened to him. He says, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Did you catch what had happened to Paul? You say, I've got no idea. I know, because I've read that and read it and read it many times, and I, I thought, what in the world is he talking about? Well, that's what I'm here to do, to help you understand Two things had happened to Paul that were out of his control. And isn't this wonderful? They both start with the letter P. How convenient. Prison and preachers. If you'd like it to put it this way, he had trouble outside the church and trouble inside the church. Is that not the definition of your life, Christian? What had happened to Paul? He, where is he when he writes this letter? He's in Rome. He is in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The very same gospel that is preached here every Lord's Day. He is in prison for that. Persecuted by the world for Christ's sake, he has trouble outside the church. Ah, but he says, I also have trouble by people inside the church. And he specifically names preachers. Now, unlike the preachers in the books, uh, book of Galatians, where they were preaching heresy, these preachers were not preaching heresy, probably from the church in Rome. They were preaching the same gospel that Paul was. Some of them were good preachers. Some of them were envious preachers. Going around and saying some things that were hurtful about Paul. What were they saying? We don't know. Paul doesn't say because that's not the point. The point was they were saying things about Paul in an effort to take him down a few notches. 
Do you know what that's like? Someone in the church who really is not even close to your situation, who doesn't know the real pain, doesn't know all the situation, but they look at you, fold their arms, and they make a, they make a judgment call. And they talk to others because they know. I think that's something of what's going on in here. Maybe they were calling him a criminal because he's in prison. Maybe they were calling him proud and God had finally humbled him. But regardless, they were preaching the same gospel. Good men, good message, but in a way to stick it to Paul. Trouble outside the church, trouble inside the church. Here is a man targeted by in the world and torn up by people in the church. What is his response? Verse 18. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice. Yea, I will rejoice. He responds with joy. Why? Because here was a man consumed with the glory, the weightiness, the importance, the majesty of Jesus Christ. He saw God was using his pain to advance the cause of Christ. And this brought him joy. Yeah, he may be in prison for preaching Christ, but now those in Caesar's household were hearing the gospel. He may be hindered in missionary travel. He may be isolated. But God had raised up more preachers to preach the same gospel. Rome, unbelieving Jews tried to silence him, but they poured gasoline on that gospel fire. Now the gospel is advancing. Now the gospel is exploding further with, as he says here, even greater confidence. So call him whatever name you wanted to. Call him liar. Call him criminal. Call him proud. His name didn't matter to him. The name of Jesus Christ mattered. That's why he rejoiced. His life was consumed by the glory of Jesus. Can you say this? Or is your reputation more important than Jesus' reputation to you? Can you say this? Or is your own comfort more important to you? Paul was full of joy when life happened to him. Because he was consumed with the glory of Christ. Now, when you come to verse 19, which we've already read earlier, I want you to notice that Paul sees these circumstances, the badness of life was but temporary. Look at verse 19. He says, for I know that this, what is the this? This is life happening. For I know that this, specifically prison, shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The word salvation here is not salvation from sin, but salvation from prison. Deliverance is the word. He says, I know that my incarceration, my imprisonment is but temporary. I know these bad circumstances are but temporary. May I say this? No matter what bad things happen to you in this life, they are but temporary. I don't know if that means it's going to end in this life. It may not. It may. It may not. But because of Jesus Christ, eternity is coming and these circumstances are but for a moment. Because of Christ alone. 
But Paul says this, I know that I'm going to be delivered from this suffering. I know I'm going to be delivered from this prison. I know I'm going to be delivered from life happening to me in this way. Because the church, you are praying for me there in Philippi. Not only are you praying for me, but the Holy Spirit has been giving me everything I need. He's been giving me the grace I need. He's been giving me the strength, the joy, and the peace in my suffering. I know my suffering is temporary. I will be delivered. And then he goes on in verse 20. And verse 20 can be one of the more confusing verses in the book of Philippians because of just how it's worded. Did you notice that? According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified uh, in my body, whether it be by life or by death. There's a lot of phrases in that. Let me see if I can bottom line it for us here. Follow his thinking. He says this, dear friends, because you are praying, verse 19, I know I will be delivered from this prison. Verse 20, I don't know how I'm going to be delivered, but I know I will. It could be that I'm out of prison with my life. It could be that I get out of prison with my death. In other words, it may be that I will be released and set free, in which case I will be delivered. Or it may be that I'm getting out of here by my death. I will execute it and die, in which case I will be delivered. But regardless, the result of my deliverance must be that I magnify Jesus Christ. That I make Him great in the eyes of the church. That I make Him great in the eyes of the world. That I would enlarge Him. That I would magnify Him. That I would raise awareness of Jesus Christ regardless of what happens to me in this prison. So follow this. Whether I live or whether I die, Jesus alone must be magnified. And not just magnified, notice, magnified with all boldness. The word boldness here is with the idea of full courage. I must conceal nothing of the glory of Christ when I'm here in this prison. I must put Jesus on full display. I must... Uh, I must make him renowned in people's mind. Behead me only if Jesus will be magnified with all boldness. Release me only if Jesus will be magnified with all boldness. Because my life, my death, my existence, my execution serve only to make Christ bigger and more glorious in the eyes of the world. Notice in verse 20, when Christ is boldly magnified in me, they will see that I was no fool for being a follower of this man, Jesus Christ. I will not be ashamed. Now, how can Ask questions of the Bible. How can he say this? Was the first century different than the 21st century? I mean, really. How can he say this? You know how he can say this? Verse 21. For to me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Follow this. If I am released, my life is Christ. Nothing is going to change. I'm still going to pursue Christ. I'm still going to preach Christ. I'm still going to be persecuted for Christ. By the way, it's exactly what happened. He does get released. He doesn't know that yet. But he is going to end up there again and he's going to die. But he says, if I, if, I, uh, if I live, nothing changes. Christ is my life. But notice this, if I am executed, my death brings me to Christ. 
everything changes. My faith is sight. I will have won the prize of perfect Christ-likeness. I will see Jesus face to face. I will have won if I die. There's a hymn that a good friend has written based on Philippians 1.21, and I love how he puts in the final, the final stanza. Listen to this. To live or die, it's all the same, for Christ consumes me either way. If I should live, I'll live for him, and if I die, I'll live again. Oh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has changed everything. That's what Jesus said hours before he is crucified. John 14, 19. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but ye see me because I live, you shall live also. You see the Christian and only the Christian beats death. Why? Because our Lord has beaten death. The resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ guarantees the resurrection of the dead for all who have placed their faith in Him. So, I took all that time to get to this one sentence. And if you hear nothing else, you must hear this. And I wrote it down so I would not misspeak. If Jesus is your life, And if Jesus is your death, what could ever rob you of joy? Disease? Disease going to rob you of joy? Disaster? Getting news you don't want to hear? Scandal? Injustice? Hurtful words? life happening to you honestly if Jesus is your life and if Jesus is your death then why are you so sad this morning where is the joy he is alive and you are and will be too no matter what happens there's a young wife and mother here in our here in our city, does not attend church here, does not attend church at my church, but attends another good church. She has aggressive lung cancer. Young wife, young mother, believer in Jesus Christ. As with anything with cancer, it's the up and downs, as you know. Get good news, then you get bad news. Then you get a lot more bad news. Then you get a little good news. Her oncologist asked her one time, how is it that you react to setbacks with such ease? How is it you take it in stride? And she said, I have no other answer but God's grace and his faithfulness in my life. And she wrote this testimony. It was passed along to me. And these are her words. I want you to listen to this. She said, quote, oncology doctors and nurses need the Lord too. And how are they going to hear unless Christians get cancer? This is my God-given path in life now. It is not what we would have wanted. 
but we are grateful for his goodness. End quote. How do you explain this? How do you explain this joy? How do you account for this peace? Philippians 1.21 To me, life is Christ. Death is Christ. The pain is real. The hurt is great. The tears are often. But the joy is there. Jesus is greater than all of that. And my friends, this is what it means to be a Christian. Maybe you are here this morning and you would classify yourself as a non-believer. I'm so glad you're here. And you wonder, what is, all, what is it all about this Christian faith? Can I tell you what it is to be a Christian? Life is Christ. Death is Christ. Eternity is Christ. Every day is Christ. Christ is all in all. Do you know what that phrase means? It's a good Bible phrase. It's a good Sunday phrase. Christ is all in all. What does that mean? He is everything. In everything. You face. My life is His. My death is His. And He has the right as my Lord to do whatever He sees necessary in me so that I may raise awareness of Him. So are you rejoicing in the Lord, Christian, in the harsh realities of life? Are you rejoicing in the Lord in the face of impending death? Do you find that it does not matter to you what life throws you because you have this confidence, all is well with my soul because I have Jesus and He has me? The Apostle Paul would say this to the Ephesians right before he was arrested and put in prison from which he would write Philippians. They were saying to him, the, 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 uh, the elders there in Ephesus were saying, don't go to Jerusalem, you're going to be harassed and arrested. That's exactly what happened. But before he went, he said these words, Acts 20, 24, none of these things move me. What are you moved by? None of this possible harassment moves me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says, I may be arrested. Life may happen to me in a way I don't want but God has given me this course. I want to finish it with joy and I want to take these circumstances and testify the gospel. I want to raise awareness of Christ. Is that you? Or are you spiraling in worry and self-doubt and or doubt and self-pity? Get your eyes off you and your problems. And get them on the Lord Jesus Christ and realize you have been given a new assignment. You have been given a glorious opportunity to raise awareness of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs to see that the church has a message. The message 
that will deliver them even from death. The church has no greater answer. The church has no other answer to life and death than Christ. He is all in all. Is he all to you?